You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. This month, we've been focused on the kickoff of our 25th anniversary celebration, and, and I decided that we'd spend the month of November um, focused on some biblical perspective on our anniversary. And um, one of the challenges that I've been sharing with you this month is that we just have this wonderfully growing, wonderful growing congregation that's changing. We have folks who've been around since, you know, the early years. We have a lot of people who are brand new to Cibolo Creek. We have folks who are here on campus. We have people who are joining us online. And I just was trying to think of some ways that we could all get on the same page together, regardless of what our experience is right now with the history of Cibolo Creek. And um, one of the ways that I decided that it might be helpful to kind of get us all on the same page was to go and visit four passages of Scripture that have been absolutely critical in the understanding of Cibolo Creek and our mission for these 25 years. And um, we talked a lot about them in the early days. Uh, Maybe we should talk about them a little bit more here in these days as a way to kind of get us all thinking in the same direction. But... um, I just, I just want to take you to these four passages. And so in the first week, um, we looked at um, Luke chapter 15, because that's been one of the premier passages in the life of this church. And Jesus tells the, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And there's a very, very powerful lesson that he's teaching us about the nature of God's heart, and particularly as the expression of God's heart through the church. And so here's what we see in Luke chapter 15. We see that lost people matter to God. And therefore, as Christ followers and as a people of God, they ought to matter to us. And so from the earliest days of Civil Creek, we've always had this place of, of, in our hearts of thinking, how can we make our church accessible and available and approachable to somebody who might be far from God, who's never been to church or has some bad experiences with church and doesn't believe in Jesus? How is a way that we as a congregation could serve them? And so here at Civil Creek, we think in this way, we're a close-knit family of Christ followers Developing the heart of Jesus for people who are far from God. That's, that's an integral part of understanding Cibolo Creek. Then last week we looked at a second passage that's been really, really important to the life of this church. And it's found the very first portrait of the church that we have. It's found in Acts chapter 2. And here's what we discovered last week. It's hardwired into the DNA of the church. The church that Jesus dreamed of, the church that Jesus established. It's hardwired in the DNA of the church for Christ followers to share life together, to do life with each other in very close, personal, intimate kinds of ways where it's not just about knowing some people, but building lasting kinds of friendships with each other. So a way of saying that, Sybil Creek is a close-knit family of Christ followers who spend time with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's lots of different ways that we can do that. We could have meals together. Just call people up and say, hey, would you like to go grab some lunch? Because that's a way that we can build friendships. We can socialize together. Maybe if you're in a group or you're meeting some people at church, just say, hey, let's go and have some dinner together. Let's go watch a movie. Let's go to a concert together because that helps build that togetherness. We can do life groups together, which are smaller groups of gatherings here at Sybil Creek. We can certainly gather together in this experience and worship together. 
and we can serve together. But the important point is that we do it together because that's been an historical expression of the church for centuries. So here's what I want us to understand. That whether you meet with us here on campus or you're gathering with us online, all of us can have a heart for people who are far from God. And we can intentionally be looking to build relationships with people we work with or go to school with or live next door to or family and friends, build relationships with people who don't know Christ with the hope that God would use us to introduce them to Christ as their Savior. And whether you're somewhere else in the country or you're here on campus, we can make it a priority of finding good friends who are followers of Jesus and spending time with them as an expression of the church in our lives. Does that, does that make sense? All right, so today we're going we're gonna to look at um, a third expression of the church that's been very, very important um, to Sibylla Creek these last 25 years. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to explain it as simply as I can. It's not because you can't handle complex things, because I know differently. Very, very intelligent crowd. But here's why I want to take this from a simple approach as possible. Is one, I want to make sure there's absolutely no confusion. And secondly, and maybe more importantly, I want to make sure there's absolutely no rationalization for why we might think, well, I'm exempt from this particular matter. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're a Christ follower, you're not exempt. We can talk all day about spiritual growth, but if our spiritual growth is not taking us in the direction of what I'm going to talk about today, then our spiritual growth is actually headed in the wrong direction. There's so much more to spiritual growth than the accumulation of deep and profound theological or biblical truth. The objective of spiritual growth, you listening? The objective of spiritual growth is to become like Jesus. And if our pursuit of spiritual growth isn't turning us into a better reflection of the heart and the life of Jesus, then we're doing it wrong. And so that's why I think that today's topic is so important. So we're just going to start at the basics, and we're going to define some terms. The first term is Christian. What is a Christian? Well, in the most simple definition, a Christian is a follower of Christ. Somebody who has aligned their life to the pursuit of living like Jesus asked us to live. So it's important that you understand that a Christian isn't someone who was born into a home where your parents were Christians. A Christian isn't somebody who goes to church a lot. A Christian isn't somebody who believes in Jesus and kind of recognizes his place among all the other religious leaders of history. No, a Christian is someone who's made a faith decision to follow Jesus in the way that he invites us to live. So it's really important for me to under, that you understand that Christ followers are very different than church attenders. Now, here's what we know from what we read in the, the New Testament and we learn about our faith is Christ followers, listen, Christ followers are church attenders. 
Christ followers for, his, for the whole span of history have been gathering together in local circles of other Christians in their area. And when they get together for worship and they get together to serve and they get together to pray, Christ followers are there because that's an important expression of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But here's what you need to understand. Church attenders are not necessarily Christ followers. Millions of Americans go to church every Sunday. They go to church religiously, but they don't follow Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about like the human story. The human story essentially goes something like this. Around the age of 12, 13, or 14, we as human beings... We start wanting to pursue something that feels a little bit more like independence. This is the great and classic tension between parents and their children. Because at about 12, 13, 14, a child's starting to put some distance and kind of become their own person. And they're trying to figure that all out. And it's crazy. And there's hormones. And there's so many impressions. And it is a really difficult season of life. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, we're starting to develop this sense that I'm on my path, this sort of autonomous, self-determined direction of life, and it's now about my ambitions, my goals, my lifestyle, my choices, my accomplishment, and there's a lot of nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. And so we develop this whole mindset as human beings is that I'm on this path, an autonomous, self-determined path. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. And then you start waking up to the fact that, well, there comes this point where my boss tells me a lot about how I'm going to live my life. And, you know, come to think of it, my spouse tells me a lot about how I'm going to live my life. Oh, wait a second. My children have a huge say a lot of how I live my life. And you realize that maybe autonomy is, is a bit of a myth. But we still live with this sense of resolve that I'm going to live my life, my agenda, my priorities, my preferences. And somewhere along the line of living my life, directing my path, being in charge of my destiny, Jesus intersects my path. The story of Jesus and the message of the gospel crosses path with my life. And every human being, I don't care who you are, every human being, when that story of Jesus crosses or intersects the path that you're on, every one of us makes a choice about what we're going to do with that. Maybe it's when you're a kid and you go to some Christmas presentation at a church and you learn about the story of Jesus. Or maybe um, a friend in, in college tells you about their faith in Jesus. Or, or maybe um, you read a book and the name comes up. Or, or you went to college and you had a professor who just ragged on Christianity and Christians all the time. But your path crossed with this message of Jesus. And every one of us makes a decision about what we're going to do with that information. And a lot of people, a lot of people, the majority of people, they decide, I don't believe that stuff. Or I don't need that. And so I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to set it aside. And I'm going to continue 
on the path that I am creating for my life. Now, some people, they hear the story of Jesus, they hear the message of the gospel, and they see themselves in the story because Jesus talks about this thing called sin. And they go, wait a second, I do that. I've broken God's laws. I've ignored the way that God asked me to live as a human being. I, if that's true, I've violated the sensitivities of a holy and righteous God, and I stand condemned for my sin before him. And then the message of the gospel, gospel means good news, and suddenly the good news starts to make sense that I as a sinner, I've, I've offended a holy God, I've broken God's laws, but the good news is Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross and he rose again and through his death he paid the penalty for the sin that I'm guilty of. And when he rose from the dead, he offered me forgiveness and extended me to the gift of salvation, which comes with the hope of eternal life. And some people make the decision, oh, wait a second, that's my story. And so they make a decision and they place their trust in Jesus Christ as their savior. And then that's when the path that they're on changes because Jesus is going in a different direction. And so the path that was going this way suddenly becomes a path of following Jesus. This has been very vivid in my mind. This is the way that it's worked for me, is that I came to a place in my life where I decided, wait a second, I'm no longer on my path. I'm now standing behind Jesus. And whatever direction he's going in is the direction that I need to go in. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so as I learn about what direction Jesus is going in, I give myself then to following in that same direction. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's the deal. When we get behind Jesus and we start following his path, we learn from him how he wants us to live our life. And so here's what that looks like. Following Jesus is I start doing the things that Jesus would do. I start going to places that Jesus would go. I start looking for people that Jesus would prioritize. He loves everybody, but we see from his life there was a certain group of people that he had a certain energy for and a certain passion for and a certain priority for. And so attitudes that Jesus would possess have now have to become my attitude. Values that Jesus affirms need to become my values. Priorities that Jesus would honor. Habits that Jesus would model. Lifestyles that Jesus would pursue. That now becomes the path that I'm on because I am a, what? A Christ follower. That's what it means to be a Christian. Is to head in the direction that Jesus would head. So this has been very clear in my mind for, for some time now. And I hear Jesus in these ways, that I can imagine him saying these kinds of things. Paul, I'm headed in the direction of humility. Follow me. 
So whatever pride, whatever arrogance, whatever sense of self-sufficiency, whatever sense of superiority that I might have in my life, I'm, I'm this more than other people or I do this better than other people, whatever kind of self-sufficient arrogance that I might have in my life, I can't do that anymore because that's not the direction that Jesus is leading me. He's saying, Paul, I want you to come. We're gonna go to the place of humility where you understand that your value is not any different than anybody else's. Paul, come on, we're gonna go in the direction of compassion. We're gonna go in the direction of compassion where it's, not, it's no longer acceptable to just say you love people. But now that love has to be turned into action. You have to have a certain tender-hearted um, a perspective on other people's pain and you need to want to get into that pain with them and help them because I'm moving in the direction of compassion. You can't say, well, I don't do the touchy-feely stuff and that's not really how I'm wired. I'm kind of type A. I like to move fast and I don't really want to get bogged down in other people's problems. And Jesus goes, that's fine, but that's not the path I'm on. I'm going in the direction of compassion. Paul, I'm going in the direction of forgiveness. Oh, Jesus not forgiveness, they hurt me. And well, quite frankly, Jesus, I'm trying to hurt them back by freezing them out of my world and not being kind to them or even saying hi to them. I just, I don't want anything to do with them. And Jesus said, yeah, I know. Aren't you glad I didn't treat you like that? I'm going in the direction of, of forgiveness and you have to follow, but Jesus, that means I have to go to people and like try to work it out. And I don't do well with confrontation and conflict. I'm, I'm avoidant of that. And Jesus said, I know. That's why you're going to have to trust me and follow me into it. But the way of freedom and hope and happiness is in the direction of forgiveness. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's what we need to just acknowledge. That sometimes following Jesus on this path, it's not always easy. I just need to get that out there so that we can all be honest to it. If you're here today or online and you're not a Christ follower, but you're like thinking about it, you should know this before you get into it. You know, it's sort of like the fine print. Here's the deal, that sometimes following Jesus, it's not always comfortable. And it's certainly not always convenient. And it's not always popular. In fact, it's very rarely popular. And I'll just tell you, it's not profitable. A lot of times that path that we're on, that path that we're creating, that path that we're generating as the master of our fate, yeah, we typically try to look for paths that are comfortable and convenient and we like to be popular and man, if I can make some good money along the way, that's the path I'm on. And Jesus says, yeah, come follow me. My way may not be easier, but my way is better. So today we're gonna to look at a time when Jesus made it crystal clear what it is to follow him. So whenever a Christ follower hears Jesus be very specific about what it means to follow him, what a Christ follower does is he sits on the end of his seat with curiosity like, I wanna hear this. So there's no question about the direction that Jesus is gonna take me.
so critical to our understanding of our church these past 25 years has stemmed from this one very clear passage where Jesus is making it crystal clear what it means to follow him. John chapter 13, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and return to the Father. This was just hours before the crucifixion. I love this line. Having loved his own who were in the world, the disciples, he loved them. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what we're about to witness is Jesus demonstrating just how much he loved the disciples who were around him. This is about an act of an expression of love. So we read this. The evening meal was in progress. So Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. Now please, remember that line right there. That one's more important than any other line in the passage. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Remember that line. Because that's really what the passage is about. And after that, he poured water in a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Remember that line. This isn't about washing feet. He returned to his place. And there at his place at the table, he asked this question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Like, guys, did you get that? You call me your teacher. You say I'm your Lord or your master, your leader. And rightfully so, because I am that. Well, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, your master, the one that you follow, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, meaning like, this is serious. This is the bottom line. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will experience blessing if you what? It's right there. I'm sorry? If you do these things. The blessing is not in knowing them. The blessing is doing them. Living your life in this direction. Jesus saying, guys, I'm headed in this direction of serving others. So there's this whole cultural and contextual background to this passage. Um, We'll just make it really simple. Um, Most people in Jesus' day, they walked in bare feet. Maybe if they had some money, they might have some sandals. Streets in Jesus' day were not paved. They were dirt roads traveled by pedestrians and animals. 
And so, your feet got dirty during the day. So if you went to somebody else's house during the day, the custom was that you would be greeted at the door by a servant. Now, if somebody was wealthy enough to have servants, you might have a servant who took care of meals. You might have a servant who took care of the animals. You might have a servant that would keep the house. But the servant who was the lowest on the totem pole, the servant that every other servant gave them the things that they didn't want to do, that was the servant that would meet you at the door with a basin of water and a towel, and they would kneel down and they would wash your feet before you came into the house. They were the lowest of the lowest. In a class, in a caste, in a demographic that's not unlike ours. But here's what I want you to understand. He wasn't modeling foot washing. He wasn't establishing a practice for the church because we never read about foot washing washing ever again in the New Testament. Here's what he was doing. He was modeling the humility that his followers followers would embody that they would be willing to do the most menial, the messiest, the most unbecoming act of serving others. That's what the passage is about. You see, it all goes back to what he does with the clothes and where he sits at the table. You see, he's sitting at the head of the table and he's wearing the clothes that distinguish him as a rabbi. A rabbi in society of the first century was like at the top of the heap. They were the holy ones of God. They were the, they were the teachers of the, of the Old Testament scriptures. They were perceived as the smartest, the most intelligent, and the most spiritual people in all of society. And they had clothes that they wore that marked them as a rabbi. It wasn't, wasn't difficult to walk down the street and go, oh, that man's a rabbi. Oh, and that man's a carpenter. That man's a fisherman. And that man, he's a farmer. But that guy over there, he's a rabbi because of what he wore. And where was he sitting? He was sitting at the head of the table. But during the meal, he gets up and he takes off all the trappings. He removes the social distinguished. Uh, the social uh, definition of who he is in the society. And he does what? He takes off those clothes and he puts on a simple towel, which would have been, everybody in society knows, oh, that's the lowest servant in the house. And he proceeds to wash his disciples' feet. And then what does he do? He puts on the clothes again that distinguish him as a rabbi, and he goes back and it says he takes his place at the table, and Jesus is modeling for his disciples that if you're going to follow me, you must be willing to serve anybody and everybody. What it means to follow me is to have the heart of a servant who will drop all the facade of the position that you hold and the power that you have and the privilege that you enjoy, and you'll just set that aside because in the following of Jesus, that's not important. What's important is that you love others and you serve them well with a good heart and a willing spirit. Jesus is saying, I I don't care who you are. I don't, 
I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how important you are. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how popular you are. I don't care how powerful you are or intelligent you are, how accomplished you are. I don't care about any of that. That makes no difference in the kingdom of God. What I care about is how you treat other people and how you take care of them. So a Christ follower is never above helping another. Paul, I'm going in the direction of serving others. If you wish to follow me, you must come there too. Not just once in a while, not when it's convenient, not when it's comfortable, not when it kind of makes you the popular guy because you're doing the sacrificial thing. No, I want you to develop a heart, an attitude, a mind where you look at everybody that you encounter as somebody that you exist to serve. Look at this. Um, Paul writes to the church at Galatia, the church is in the region of Galatia. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free That's what it means to come into Christ and be free, free from all the religious obligations to try to earn God's approval. You're free of that. You're no longer on the performance track. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Just because you don't have to go through the rituals and the motions anymore to get God to like you because you're loved by God in Christ, don't let the flesh use that as an opportunity to say, well, I don't need to do anything. Do not let your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, here's what you do. You serve one another humbly in love. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. This one commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And what we'll find is that loving your neighbor as yourself is best expressed when you serve them. Willingly, graciously, warmly, sincerely, Passionately, when you give yourself to serving others in that way, you're fulfilling the greatest commandment of loving your neighbor. Make sense? Oh, 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 just listen. Just listen to Jesus. He made it so clear. Jesus called his disciples together and he said, Hey, guys, I put that in there. It's just a little. Uh, You know, you get this, you've seen this, you know that those who are regarded as the bigwigs, the rulers of the Gentiles, they like to kind of push their weight around, lord it over them. They're high officials, they like to throw their authority around. Look at this, not so with you. You see, on my path, my self-determined autonomous path, I, I get the big... I get the big office, I get the big position, I get the important title, and now I throw my weight around. And Jesus says, no, 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 I don't throw weight around. I am the weight. So get in line because I'm headed in this direction. Not so with you. Not if you're gonna follow me. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of all. Drop the pretense Become a servant to others. For Look at this. Even the Son of Man, this is Jesus. For Jesus did not come to be served, 
If anyone deserved to be served, it was him. It was God come to earth. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life in the ultimate act of service where he would die for the good of others. So we've been saying this for 25 years. We are never more like Jesus than when we serve others. Sybil Creek Community Church is a close-knit family committed to helping others like Jesus helped us. So whether you've been here for 20 years or for two months, whether you're in the room or you're online, all of us can move toward that one calling of Jesus in our life if we hope to be his followers. To be like him in serving others. So, gotta close. Real quickly, there's two questions that a Christ follower asks all the time. It's just, it becomes their way of operating. You interested? I'm almost done. All right. First question that a Christ follower always asks, always asks. First question is this, how can I help here? You walk into a room, you walk into a situation, you walk into a setting. Your question as a servant of Jesus Christ is to ask, how can I help? At work, at school, neighborhood, church, you ask this question because it's the nature of a servant to ask this question. How can I be of help here? What do you need? And how can I be of help? Second question is, how can I help you? How can I help you? As we encounter people in our life, again, at work, at school, in our neighborhood, in our homes, husbands, Dads, moms, how can I help you? Wives, how can I help you? Because that's the nature of how a servant thinks. Not because there's slots to fill, not because there's so many needs. The reason that we ask questions like that is because we're looking to follow Jesus and every, every gap between learning and following him in the direction of serving is a, gla- is a gap that needs to be closed. Because serving others demonstrates Jesus in our life. So the question all of us have to ask is that if you are a Christ follower, am I following him hard in the direction of becoming a servant to others? Because you're never more like Jesus than when you serve others in love. This, this one thing right here, is the bottom line of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be growing spiritually, what it means to be like Christ.